everyone, and welcome to Paul and Moses Play, a celebration of games and play, and a deep dive into video games and what make them so special to us. I'm your host, Paul Berberich, and with me, as always, is Dr. Moses Wolfenstein. Hello, Moses. Hello, Paul. We are back. It's a new year. We are back. Happy New Year to you. Yeah, Happy New Year to you and to anyone listening. Um, it's, a, it's a good thing. It is. Always good to, uh, you know, continue on living, uh, I say. I'm, I'm a fan. I'm down with that. I'm down with that. There's a webcomic that uh, former um, former pod guest uh, Jason Newberry turned me on to called Poorly Drawn Lines. And it had a pretty good bit about, about the new year, just a two-panel comic. And it was like, yeah, the last year got too weird, so we decided to start over. <laughs> yeah. And there I really is... do feel like that's a pretty good uh, on, on this particular rollover. It's not a bad sum up. Yeah, nothing nothing changed per se, but uh, sort of a, a, a spiritual fresh start uh, in some ways, at least. I'd like to think so. I mean, you know, several folks have commented, commentated many, probably more than I've read or heard about how like since roughly 2016, everyone's like, oh, that year was terrible. Next year, we'll finally get things better. And now it's kind of like, well, let's just go into this without expectations <laughs> right <laughs> yeah uh yeah it, that tenor has changed it used to be like oh, okay we're gonna make it it's gonna be different it's gonna be new and now it's like no we've we've learned it's uh, a slow slide uh continues in some uh, it's rather gonna large be something. ways it's gonna be something i mean i honestly can argue that um not looking at it myopically in terms of like my personal existence in a lot of ways, 2021 was better than 2020. In, yeah. in many ways, there were actual improvements. It's just that everyone kind of thought, hoped, or many thought or hoped that it would be like, oh, we can get back to, to normality. Um, and that, that hasn't been the case. Uh, yeah, yeah, I wasn't expecting it to be. Yeah. So, you know. Life goes on. Uh, and uh, gaming goes on. So, gaming goes yeah. on here with, with our 40th uh, episode. Um, yeah. You know, uh, closing in on 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 a full year, and uh, well, you know, it'll be a while, but uh, nice nice round number again for us here. It is, yeah. I mean, it'll be it'll be um, what I suppose a little bit less than twelve episodes, because we've we've had a couple of uh, of breaks here and there, but yeah. we're getting close. We're getting yeah, yeah. close. It'll, in the coming months, we'll have to do something special. Um, <laughs> I think we've said that before and have failed to, to realize it. But, uh, you know, we do now have a precedent with the previous episode. We're capable of doing something special. Yeah, we, we do have some some checks to cash. The, uh, the rap battle, uh, the return of Mr. Guest. Um, you know, I feel like there's one more hanging out there. Uh, there might that, be uh, more than one. And, uh, and for that matter, we have other guests who uh, have reached out who actually want to return. Nice. Uh, who we would want to return. Um, not to mention, who knows uh, what new guests uh, 2022 might bring um, to, to, to our pod. Right on. Uh, well, until then, uh, without further ado, unless you have further ado, uh, we will get into some game ranks. Ah, and this is your game with this uh, very tinny... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Slightly uh, Arabian uh, flavor here. Indeed. And if we'll let it play just a moment more. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> wow. And fade. So, yeah. Um, 
anyone who played this game back on its original Apple II platform release will have immediately recognized those, as you said, slightly Arabian sounds. And of course, the Thousand and One Nights was um, a fundamental, uh, unavoidable, deep influence, uh, according to the game's creator, Jordan Mechner. It is, of course, Prince of Persia, mm -hmm. a game that um, I didn't realize this had actually uh, kind of flopped mm -hmm. on the uh, on the Apple II platform. And I'll get into that in a second uh, as I talk a little bit about this game. Uh, first, I'll let you know where it falls out in my ranking. So uh, this one's going to shake things up quite a bit. I looked at all of these games that are that are kind of ranked uh, from the bottom of the list, and I kept kind of popping this one up and up and up because this game was so foundational for me and my and my gaming experiences. Um, and it's also kind of an important game for uh, for games in general. Mm -hmm. So Prince of Persia, um, number twenty three for me. In the, okay. in between uh, Johann Sebastian Joust and uh, and GTA Vice City. Uh, nestled right in there, um, but knocking a whole lot of games down a slot in the process. So first, why did this game wind up in my ranks this week? I have Reddit to thank for this. Uh, I was in uh, in the gaming Reddit uh, sub and somebody had posted this uh, this little gif that was something the the post was something like the first nope in gaming. Uh, it's this Great scene from basically the beginning of the game. If you do what you think you should do in a platformer, which is just proceed to the right. Mm -hmm. um, and if you proceed to the right, you immediately encounter an armed guard and you are locked in the dungeon and you have no sword. Like, you know, the game sets you up. Uh, this is the classic story. You're the, the unnamed, eventually to be Prince of Persia. Um, but our, our main character has no name. But there is the Grand Vizier... Jafar, who has seized control of the palace and imprisoned the princess and, um, you know, placed a giant hourglass in front of her. And you have one hour, uh, which actually proceeds in more or less real time. Although, mm -hmm. if I recall correctly, um, if you die, I don't think it, I, you know, I think the time still kind of goes. So it's, it's a little bit brutal in that respect. You could lose this game. And I'm sure I did um, just on the clock, although I can't can't remember too precisely. Um, so you start out unarmed and you come through this door and you see this guy with a sword and you're like, oh, I'm going to just nope the fuck out of here and, uh, and proceed right back to the left. And somebody had posted this on Reddit and I was like, oh man, this game has been on my list of games. It is unranked. It absolutely needs to be ranked. Mm -hmm. uh, it, was, it was a breakthrough game at the time. It was, it, it, the reason why it went underappreciated initially is specifically because uh, it was released at the moment of platform transition. The Apple II platform had been, uh, in, in terms of computers, the premier gaming platform of, of early computer gaming. Uh, but right around this time in, uh, in the late 80s is where you had some really heavy competitors uh, for it coming through. And um, in terms of like whatever the Commodore released, and I think the Amiga came out around then and um, et cetera, right? You get the idea. Uh, and so Mechner had started producing this game a little earlier uh, as essentially kind of a direct sequel to his previous game that had been a, a pretty big hit, which I, for my entire life, have been pronouncing Karataka. But oh, I've just sure. watched an interview with him. It is apparently pronounced Karateka. Mm -hmm. um, and since he's the creator of the game, I really can't argue with that at all. Uh, incidentally, that video is uh, Ars Technica has a War Stories video series. 
Um, and in, in prepping for this, I did a little bit more prep than I often do for my ranks. Um, I watched a full playthrough and I watched this video, how Prince of Persia defeated Apple II's memory limitations. Uh, because that's part of how this game was revolutionary. Uh, Mechner used rotoscoping for this game, which is, you know, a technique where classically speaking for animation, you would trace real film and then, you know, make your characters based off of the, the real film tracing that you did. Disney did this. Um, a lot of, a lot of early animation relied on it really quite heavily. Um, he did this with, I think a super eight camera, no VHS. He used, uh, he'd used a super eight previously. He used VHS for this, um, in a really complicated process, actually, that I'm not going to go into, but if you watch the, uh, the Ars Technica video, you'll, you'll be able to learn more about it, um, with his uh, younger brother. So he captured all of the prince's movements this way, which is what makes this game so awesome. I, like, I remember being really amazed at all the ways that the prince moves. And I mean, now it's like, okay, it's some white and orange blobs on the screen, basically. If you go back and you watch the Apple II version of it, you know, most people who have played this game undoubtedly are familiar with one that has much nicer graphics because it got ported to all of these other platforms where it had amazing success, right? Um, and would go on to have a sequel as a side scroller. Uh, and then of course, Sands of Time, which, you know, critically acclaimed um, and, uh, and for good reason and eventually adapted into a movie that I think was maybe not so good, <laughs> but be that as it may, um, you know, I was playing this back on the Apple 2, 2GS that we had that I, the 2GS was released in 86. And I think we probably got one in somewhere around 88. It was more powerful than prior games, but the ROM for this uh, prior apples, but the ROM for this was still, um, you know, the same ROM for the apples. So mm -hmm. I did not. It didn't have the uh, the benefit. And um, I think it was like 64K or something on the Apple. So he packed a phenomenal amount into um, this very small amount of space uh, with a character who would run and jump and he could kind of do this creeping like mm -hmm. tiptoe motion that you'd have to do to get past like spike traps. Um, or if you jumped like the... Um, the plates that would like the falling plates, you know, something that we're very familiar with, with so many platformers subsequently um, would like jiggle a little bit. So you can mm -hmm. tell like, Oh, okay, this is going to fall if I run past it, um, you know, hanging off of the edge. And just like, I remember dropping off the lip of something and like crawling back up and like doing that several times, much like the laughter dance from dark souls, but um, a reference that absolutely none of our viewers will understand. Cause I don't think we've ever really talked about it on the show before, but, um, but I, I definitely remember just, like screwing around with it like that just because the animations were so smooth uh, compared to anything that, uh, that I'd experienced previously. Um, a couple of other points I'm going to highlight about this game. It was released by Broderbund, uh, which at the time when you saw that name, when you were loading a, a game up on, on, on the Apple, it was like immediately like, okay, this is good. Like they had Choplifter and Load Runner. They would eventually release Myst. Uh, they also uh, published... Uh, print shop, which, which for those of us um, who, who did computing in the 80s as kids, uh, we all firmly remember print shop and, uh, and dot matrix printers go kind of hand in hand and, you know, printing those banners and then trying to rip the edges off with the holes off of your, your long print jobs to mm -hmm. <laughs> hopefully not tear it in the process. It was like seeing, um, uh, it was like seeing bullfrog for me yeah. at the time. It was like, oh shit, bullfrog. All right. This is going to be good. Absolutely. Absolutely, it was. It was like uh, for, for it was. It was a platform equivalent to that for yeah. uh, for Nintendo. Yeah. Um. So 
um, yeah, that was that was very very relevant in terms of like this game was you know something that right out the gate I knew was going to be good. Um, that and of course knowing that it was a sequel to a game that I hadn't been able to beat probably when this game came out. Maybe I had. I don't know. Probably not when it came out. By the time I was playing it, I'd probably beaten Kartika. But um, the one of the the defining things, and I actually hadn't realized until I watched the uh, watched that video. One of the defining things about about this game is the mirror you, who who you encounter pretty early in the game, and um, you have to jump through this mirror, and he jumps out the other side, um, and he pops up and he taunts you periodically through most of the rest of the game until you're nearly at the end of it. And the first thing that happens is that he shows up and he drinks a potion that you're like, oh, a potion, great, because it's one of the health potions that I think actually gives you an extra point of health as opposed to the ones that are just healing potions. Um, then later, uh, he appears just on the other side of a gate. And just as you're about to like make, just as you move to make the jump across, and to try and grab the lip, he steps onto the pressure plate and drops yep. the gate. I remember that. Knocks you back down, all the way back down to the dungeon. That's at the end of level six. And it's like not until level 10 that you finally get back up into the palace. Yeah. So um, just, and, and Mechner talks about this and it completely resonates with the experience that uh, like, of course it does. This was completely intentional. He creates this antagonist like Shadow You, who is, um, you don't, confront directly there's all these guards who you kill and i'm not going to spoiler uh the part like it's really worth watching this arts technical video if you if you have any attachment to this game or interest uh really in game development actually um but he creates this antagonist who you don't get to go toe to toe with who's taunting you and you build up this emotional tension with this character um and then when you finally encounter him very close to the end of the game you want, you want to kill him. You want to bust out your sword and you want to duel him and kill him. And you realize as you hit him that every time you hit him, it's hurting you. And it's wow. just such a dynamic moment with just simplest fucking graphics to yeah. be able to take that and go like, oh, well, what is there left to do? Well, I could put my sword away. And it's like you merge with him and you get back all of the health that he'd stolen, right? Huh. Yeah. It's like, this is everything after that in the game is really the denouement. There's like, sure, there's some other kind of bits of platforming and some pressure pressure plates and, and drop floor and stuff that like you got to figure out. Um, but the game definitely kind of peaks at that point. I don't think it's an accident. Mm -hmm. So um, that's pretty much all I've got to say about the original Prince of Persia. Just a, a fantastic game that had to shake up my ranks uh, because it was uh, so, so impactful for me. And just a trailblazer in terms of of platformers in large part because compared to a lot of other platformers from the era uh you had this character that was a lot more kind of identifiable as a human right as because after all it's rotoscoped on mechner's brother it looked like a real person because it was based on a real person cool yeah yeah i uh I loved that game as well. I played the uh, the Sega CD port. Okay. Um, nice. And you know, all the memories were rushing back. The way the the floor tiles wobble a bit, um, and just the devious sequences of traps. You know, you have those 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 brutal. Uh, you know, I don't. What do you blades that come the vertical from the ceiling and the yeah. 
the vertical gnashy teeth bladed things. Oh, right God, in half. Yeah, definitely. And you're yeah, like and that animation. Yep. Yeah, and then the, the, the it's violence. It's brutal. The decks are pretty rough in this game. Yeah. Um, and like, or sprinting across, you know, 12 plates in a row as they fall beneath you. Um, and with the Sega CD came the ability to do full motion video and uh, high quality audio, but not necessarily mm-hmm. high quality voice acting. Because another thing I remember is the absolutely atrocious uh, voice acting. And I'll, all I remember, I'll have to pull it up for a future episode, but it's your guy. And at one point he's just like, Jaffa, like mad at <laughs> Jafar or Jaffa, whatever his, his name, whatever you know, his name I think it's supposed been. to be yeah. Jafar, but it is supposed um, to be Jafar. Because in the print scroll that you have the text, like not scroll, but the text uh, screen that you have in the intro on the Apple II version, it is definitely Jafar as per the Thousand and One Nights. Yeah. Um, that's just funny so yeah i mean game... you know this goes back to uh when we had mark chen on the show um we had not quite gotten to that jump in terms of voice acting yet at that you know in terms of games right yeah um it m- might already be on my list but if not i'm definitely gonna gonna add it um it'll be a little further down for me but uh but yeah what you know like you said a very a, a very seminal uh work of art most definitely uh, well, for myself, speaking of uh, works of art, uh, I will start the music here to a beloved game of mine, Little King's Story. Um, all the music is public domain, I assume due to budgetary concerns, but boy does it fit <laughs> the game. Um, you know, this is the title screen, and I remember, you know, I've mentioned this story before. Uh, Wendy was out of town. The Red Faction Guerrilla demo oh, had yeah. been released, uh, and I bought this game, the, the full game. And I was in, uh, you know, yet another Prison of Delights, um, and I would just get so hyped up, and I would do this dramatic, like, conducting of the title screen music as it would boot ah, up, and yes. just so excited to get back into the world. Uh, you know, you were this boy king sucked into this other land and you'd uh, acquire this retinue of, of soldiers and craftspeople and you march around with them all filing behind you and throw them at things, sort of Pikmin style. So they'll br- build a bridge, they'll attack the enemy. Um, and as you set out into the kingdom of El Poco, uh, this would play and I would just get so happy. Every time this song started, just making my way, got all ah, my dudes, it's a delight, and they would all make this little vocalization when you throw them, and you throw them rapidly. So you're like, <laughs> and I just, you know, beat up that rock or that giant frog, and like, it's you know, it's good music because it's classical and masterworks, and then you get to enjoy it along with this this very charming game um and there's one particular segment and i like it's kind of hard to hear but there's like ukulele it's very nice kind of in the background there um and then the the sort of happy uh carefree part of the world would give way to the dark valley and skull plains and i remember it would seamlessly fade into this this uh other track here and you know then i knew i was really really in for it um 
there was like this soup church and instead of amen they would say ramen uh and <laughs> some very subversive kind of ideas with with the uh the soup church um and to my shame i don't think i ever beat it because the last boss you had to do like 20 minutes of the prior to the boss before you even got to fight it again and i did mm -hmm. that a few times and i was like this is just brutal and uh never never quite saw it through but you know i, I mean there I, are a lot of really excellent games that nonetheless suffer from a little design flaw here or there yeah. and that's i mean that's kind of a classic design flaw um if if i do say yeah um but yeah you're slowly you know building back the kingdom um and uh you know gaining new jobs for your subjects um and it was just so charming and carefree sort of and you know i also mentioned like having your favorite villagers and they could die like letty was my was my best soldier and she died uh lo and behold i remember you telling me about this back then yeah uh oh even concurrently i told you about about oh yeah. yeah yeah absolutely well because i remember you showing me the game and how excited you were about it and i was like oh this is super cool but of course it wasn't a platform that i had on hand yeah uh, but i specifically remember you telling me when you said i my favorite soldier letty and i was like oh man i remember that <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh yeah unbeknownst to me they have a chance of washing up on the beach at a future day and that eventually happened with with letty i got her back um so man it just it's it's a moment in time you know it's that perfect yeah. gaming cocktail of like uh free time uh you know free from any <laughs> any true responsibilities uh uh or or other people in their in their whims and you can just be a slovenly uh jerk and just play <laughs> alternating between the the wonderful br brutal destruction of of red faction gorilla with the charming you know fairy tale of uh, little king story man yeah um, so that, a, you know, a gaming moment, but also just a great game. Yeah, that uh, comes in at the end of my list at number 38. All right. Uh, next up on the show, everybody's new favorite feature. It's time for Elden Ring Watch. And... Uh, I have another entry from the wiki uh, to share with you here, and uh, we can discuss that, and then, uh, you know, whatever else might uh, occur to us. Um, and it goes as follows. Uh, the storyteller folds her slender hands, both pairs, and speaks. It happened an age ago, but when I recall, I see it true. So begins the tale of the shattering of devastating war between the children of Marika demigods of the lands between. One grim night in the depths of winter, a flock of unknown assassins stole across the lands between. In a, okay, this is a word I'm not familiar with. Co, Coetaneous? C-O-E-T-A-N-E-O-U-S. Coetaneous, are they just making something up here? Maybe. Um, I got a, Coetaneous, another term for Coevil. Oh, well, that helps. Uh, his greatest rival and coetaneous critic. Uh, uh, okay, of relating to or affecting the skin. No, that's cutaneous. Um, 
coetaneous according to how Google wants to translate it. So another yeah. coincident. Okay. Having uh, the same age or date of origin. It's contemporary. Okay. Okay. Uh, what, a, what a reach. Yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, in a coetaneous attack, this fall covenant snuffed out the lives of many of the God Queen's kin throughout the empire, too numerous and too scattered for her godly protection to save. The assassin's targets were multifold, but none was as devastating a loss to the eternal queen as that of Godwin the Golden. After his death, the Elden Ring was somehow shattered and the order of the world broke with it. Out of this chaos came war, open, bitter war, pitting blood against blood and kin against kin. The conflict broke a vast and prosperous empire into brittle fragments. No single side could find enough purchase to maintain a decisive victory, even when fueled by the power of a great rune. The, the battle of General Radon against Melenia the Severed illustrated that neither strength nor skill alone would be enough to take control of the entirety of the lands Marika have, have had united. And so the lands between are no longer gripped by open war, but caught in an uneasy stalemate that seems impossible to resolve. Unless, of course, the storyteller says, a coy smile on both her lips, thou shouldst take the crown. Um, transported. Okay. Uh, so yeah, if you have, there's uh, one more paragraph, but any, any thoughts so far? Well, I think I might as well hold them. Sure. Um, Transported to ages long ago, you will relive the shattering, a war that brought darkness to the lands between. Oh, that's interesting. Transported to ages long ago. Huh. So you go back in time, perhaps. You will relive the shattering, uh, initiated by the demigod's hunger for power. You'll fight alongside General Radon and Melania the Severed. Uh, but even these two undefeatable warriors couldn't reunite a world so badly broken. There's only one hope left. The hope that a new Elden Lord will rise and lift the veil of shadows that has fallen over Marika's domain. And uh, that okay. is that. that gives us a lot more to chew on. That's very substantial in terms of describing where the game is going to initiate. And with that last paragraph, uh, yeah, it does seem pretty evident that uh, somehow, you know, we don't know whether or not there will be movement between different times. Mm -hmm. um or if uh or if it'll be on a more you know linear scale so to speak as in setting you back and then and then working back into the present but that definitely that that's a lot that's a lot of information right there huh. yeah i i think it's interesting that instead of this world that has already fallen uh and is desolate um we might be seeing the the height of of power of of these various forces um or at least the or at least the period of collapse right and conflict if not quite the but yeah certainly the height right. of power of the forces right yeah um and yeah i'm wondering if maybe you will go back and forth between these time periods because it, it sounds equally interesting to see the world uh in this sort of tenuous stalemate as well it also talks about pitting blood against blood. I wonder if you're going to have, I mean, I would not be surprised, but I also have to wonder uh, if you'll have, have choices to make in, in regard to who or how you side with. It would be not unfromsoft like <laughs> an awkward <laughs> phrase um, to, uh, to, to do that, to give you the option to say like, okay, 
um, I'm going to I'm going to take this angle, which would of course also lend a significant amount of replayability. Yeah, sort of expanding on the covenant system, uh, uh, which already has implications. You know, people can get mad at you and attack you or disappear or or whatever based on yeah. on what you choose. Uh, but yeah, if they flesh that out, you know, it almost suggests that they're setting the stage for more human NPCs uh, to interact with throughout this world as well. It definitely sets the stage for an expectation that, again, would go along with the fact that they have a prolific writer who's, you know, kind of known for doing some pretty good dialogue um, as one of the key key dev partners to have characters who, who are not only more substantial um, in terms of lore and in terms of how they're, they're kind of built or described, but even uh, in terms of how they're voiced and what kinds of interactions you can have with them. I mean, who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know. There could be there could be a little bit. I mean, I doubt that the PC will be voiced. Um, that feels like it would be unlikely given um, what we know about character selection. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that NPCs might not have significantly more to say. Um, and that even unvoiced, you might have more responses that could be determinative uh, than has kind of historically been the case with Dark Souls, where, yeah, you have some choice, some dialogue choices you make every once in a while that matter. Yeah. Um, but it's not not a big part of the game. Right. Yeah, well, um, you know, that game comes out next month, which is... <laughs> That's it crazy. It just occurred to me. Uh, shit. That's going to be soon, man. And we've got a That's whole new... very soon. A whole new thing to jump into. Yeah. It certainly is. It certainly is. I think the, the other thought that I have from this bit of lore here is um, it throws back into question what the heck the shattering of the Elden Ring means. Mm-hmm. And not that it wasn't still in question, but it is no clearer from this. And in some ways, even, uh, you know, I don't know, not less clear. Yeah, maybe less clear. It's weird. Uh, but it gives us a little bit more. Uh, it doesn't mention the rune of death at all, does it? No, not in this particular little little blurb here. Um, but we know that that plays into the initiation of the conflict as well. So it's kind of like triangulating just a little bit. Yeah, and I'm I'm reading a little more in the, the prologue text here. It's saying that um, the Elden Ring was shattered into great runes, and so maybe when that happened, they, they could take the, the death rune uh, uh, you know, shard of the Elden Ring. Well, that definitely makes it, pushes it back towards, uh, who knows, I, against my strong statement previously that the Elden Ring is not something you put on a finger, but maybe it is, or otherwise it would certainly seem to indicate that it might be a tangible object. But I mean, who knows? Again, who knows? Just because it's shattered into runes doesn't mean that it was a physical thing. It could have been some sort of magical thing. Yeah, it also describes uh, the Elden Ring as uh, the source of the Erd tree. Uh, So (laughs) we've got that as well. We've got that. I mean, you know, big giant trees that are kind of somehow anchored to existence or uh, you know pretty well well established uh, element in myth and legend and certainly in games as well as a result yeah uh yeah any uh any final thoughts from you moses 
I don't think so. I think we've uh, extracted as much as can reasonably be extracted from this particular snippet. Yeah. Uh, with that, then, we will move on to our next feature of the show, What I Love About. What do you love this week, Moses? Well, Paul, you might have uh, anticipated this, although it's been a little while since the setup that I did for why this would be something that I love about. But um, there's a lot that I loved about Farm RPG's winter events. Hmm. Um, It wasn't having an impossible amount of orange juice, because that was certainly one consequence of the Farm RPG winter winter quests, winter helper quests, Um, a request to request anyway um and and yet and yet one thing about the abundance of orange juice was definitely that it was like well i've got to burn this up somehow i guess i'm going to go do some more exploring which means i'll harvest some more resources which means i can advance you know in the workshop um or advance on on other help requests that i have um one way or another it it became a, a somewhat useful engine um and, or for that matter, just for exploring Santa's workshop in terms of things and places to go exploring. And that was another thing that I loved about Farm RPG's winter event. I thought that like the Santa's workshop limited space was, um, it was fun. It was cool. I liked, I was like, oh, is that Santa in the distance? And like, you're wandering around collecting Christmas ornaments, mm-hmm. candy canes and, 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 and et cetera. Um, and also, you know, a source for those um, who were coming into it at a lower level, like myself, where you can just get extra wood and iron and nails mm-hmm. um and so that could again kind of keep the the cycle running on on the crafting component of the game um and also i mean you know i kind of started farmer rpg in the middle of the halloween event um but i did like the workshop more than the haunted house uh, yeah. just as far as kind of the flavor and style of it um so yeah uh, I like the quest structure of it, even though I wasn't able to complete it because I had not advanced sufficiently in the main quest line to to gather those darn herbs yeah. to finish out the blizzard preparation events. And I feel like I was very, very close to the end of it. But um, so be it. It happens that way sometimes. I mean, I remember in World of Warcraft having seasonal events that I was underleveled for mm-hmm. kind of early on in playing that game. And, and so it goes. Um, in terms of those seasonal quests, I thought that the uh, that Buddy's build a snowman uh, quest line was pretty delightful, even though it involved accumulating a fucking impossible number of snowballs. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Which the drop rate was not. I I actually discovered over time it seemed to be a little bit higher. I probably could have looked this yeah. up, but it was a little bit higher in certain areas than than in others. Like I think at the small spring and maybe the Highland Hills, you could get snowballs a little bit more frequently than uh, like say Mount Bannon or you know such. Um, and I didn't realize, because I'm only just now uh, completing the Pirate Cove quest that starts with you must build a boat, mm-hmm. why you have this like tension between between those two characters. Right. Uh, right. But it resolves with Christmas spirit. It was delightful um, and, and kind of cute. Uh, but honestly, the thing that I love the most about uh, the Farm RPG winter events was the visual makeover. Um, yeah. The snow graphic was fine, but like it was so well executed. And it's something that you could really screw up, um, but it was delightful to have it just available for a limited time to have all the little locations all snow shrouded and stuff. So um, yeah, before we move on, was there anything in particular that you loved about the Farm RPG Winter event? Um, well, it, for me, it would have to be the giftable uh, gold, actually. Um, 
because the oh the yeah moment, the moment i saw that because i got it on like day one of december and i'm like oh, yeah i gotta make sure to save this you know i wanted to give it to you right away but i'm like no it'll be more fun if i if i give it to moses on christmas day yeah and that was pretty darn cool indeed it was uh yeah, and then if you complete delight. the all the christmas quests you get like christmas present number 13 which had like 100 gold in it and was not giftable so it's like yeah okay i get a nice uh, lump of gold as well for myself was that the um secret santa i can't remember which one that was i remember getting that too it was either the secret santa or it was the day, days of christmas i think the day which, of oh christmas. my god that 12 days of christmas quest was it got a little brutal towards the end yeah yeah <laughs> to do a bit of grinding. it was the flyer fish that really killed me in the last like okay few because it's just like they're not a high they're not a high drop rate yeah and it's not like i w didn't have enough resources to fish them up it's just like come on drop a fishing net come on one more flyer fish please mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah so, yeah continues to be a a wonderful little diversion for us still having a lot of love for farm rpg for sure um and on the subject of orange juice surplus, uh, have you been utilizing the storehouse at all? Oh, I have been utilizing the okay. storehouse. Um, although now, because I've been utilizing the storehouse, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in this odd situation where it'll be like, especially with the juices, where I'm like feeling like, oh, I'm, I'm not at the cap of my juice, but I feel like I have so much of it because I'm over 500, uh, you know, uh, capacity, right, um, mm -hmm. for, for, for unique items. Um, and it's like, yeah, there's no reason to be precious. I have like 400 and something lemonades. I might as well use some of them. It's, yeah. it, I, I don't need to only do it when I'm like, oh, I got to burn down from the cap, which has been kind of the scarcity mentality I was in before. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, well, for me this week, what I love about uh, Wordle is uh -huh, Wordle. The, uh, the gentle uh, competition that it elicits um, you know, I've got Joanna on it. I've got my mother playing it. Uh, John just started today and, you know, it's a word game. It's like, uh, the old mastermind game, uh, with those colored little pegs, uh, yeah. except for words and, uh, everyone gets the same word each day and you have six guesses. You're trying to do it in the fewest amount of guesses. You know, it tells you if you have a letter uh, right, but in the wrong spot or the right letter in the right spot. And you sort of deduce it from there and you kind of feel clever every time you crack it, you know, um, there's so much information in the clues that you get if you kind of sit there and ponder. And there will be days where I come back to it three or four times over the course of an entire day and then finally solve it because I get stumped, uh, for a while. Um, but yeah, really the, the main selling point is being able to like uh, send the little emoji to Joanna or my mother. And regardless of whether they've beaten the puzzle yet or not, it doesn't spoil anything. It just shows how my guesses uh, kind of kind of worked out. Um, and oh, really? Yeah. So that's like just from the browser on your phone, you can just send it as a notification or something? Uh, yeah, you can just share it. Gotcha. And it, it, it auto generates this little emoji thing that shows yeah your your guest distribution and okay um, hey, very cool so yeah really slick and like you know you it's just one puzzle a day and everyone gets the same one so it doesn't feel like overwhelming mm -hmm. uh 
you know, so yeah, I would, I would highly recommend Wordle uh, on your browser to anyone. I think it uses your IP address or something. Cause I, uh, as far as I can tell, I didn't create an account for it. I just tried it yesterday. Yeah. And then I, um, I was not successful yesterday because I got confused. <laughs> and if you have not tried it, folks, um, the little instruction screen that pops up is exactly that. It is only instructions. It is not providing you with a hint. Because mm -hmm. I was like, oh, so it's telling me that whatever the letter is on the instruction screen, it's like an L that is green, is, is in the correct spot. <laughs> so yesterday, I like burnt through it until like finally somewhere on like my fifth attempt, I was like, wait, I think I've got this wrong. I think that that's just directions that the word could like. <laughs> oh, yeah. You just got to take your best guess for those first six letters. Exactly. Throw yeah. a word out there and see what it spits back at you. So, um, uh, so, so yeah, but there is no like account creation, right? It's just kind of tracking your device. It, it must be. I, I haven't closed the tab yet, but I imagine that if you do, yeah, it just will remember. Uh, I have closed the tab and it does. Okay. It remembers where you were. So yeah. I think that if you were to clear your browser history, yeah, um, it, it would probably, but I, but it's also not tracking you day over day, right? It's tracking you each day as to whether or not you had. No, it tracks day over day. Uh, oh, it does. Tells your overall success rate and your distribution of how many uh, guesses each day took. Oh, yeah. No, that's right. I guess seems I actually managed to solve it today. Um, but I was on my desktop today just out of happenstance, um, which means it's not continuous with my attempt from yesterday on the phone. Mm -hmm. I'll figure it out. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, feel free to send me uh, your results and I, I will do the same. And we might even make a, a thread out of it now that we have, you know, like five of us doing it. Yeah, I'm in. Cool. All righty. Moving along then to tell me about Moses. Should I tell you about something today? Indeed, Paul, you should. And um you know, this might be a bit of a gotcha question. Um, Paul, tell me about a game that you're looking forward to in 2022 that is not Elden Ring. That has not been released, but but will be. Yeah, yeah, a game that's that's slated to drop this year uh, that you have heard tell of. Um, that That is not the game that is coming out next month that we are both looking forward to. So uh, the game is called Atomic Heart. Yeah, okay, that's the title. And it just looks so creative uh the the enemy designs and the locales um an alternate universe during high noon of the soviet union uh one of one of those types and actually they're making a new stalker game as well and i've always wanted to get into the stalker games and always feel like i should play them pretty modded up and then i get into a whole can of worms with modding and conflicts and uh yeah, my computer not quite being able to handle it. And so I've never really gotten the full stalker experience. Um, Absolutely. But uh, I know it's sort of rung a bell for you. Have you seen trailers or heard of Atomic Heart? I've definitely heard of Atomic Heart. Absolutely. Um, it's been in dev for a while now. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I've seen a gameplay tra trailer from this from um, maybe a few years ago that was just like, okay, this is really unsettling, but definitely looks interesting. Yeah, and you're, you've are you got like a big old wrench uh, 
that you're carrying around and it's like yeah i want to i want to hit something with a wrench and just the yeah. weird <laughs> I, I even forgot how cool this trailer actually looks like it's like weird snowy environment with this like water blob expanding out and these really interesting looking sort of drones cruising around oh and like this this clown guy have you did you see that where he's got like the candy striped thing coming in or going out of his mouth at all times and it's just creepy as fuck oh yeah yeah um so yeah it you know i i often think about bioshock and you know it's definitely going to get ranked for me soon um and this kind of gives me those vibes and i haven't played a game quite like this in 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 a while so oh geez that's brutal <laughs> uh yeah definitely gonna be a creepy scary environment um uh, might be might be fitting that need for you for for this year yeah um so yeah i'd have to give the nod to atomic heart all right well excellent definitely a game to look forward to yeah um and uh we will now look forward to the final uh act of today's show which is a little something called make my game yes what are we making today well it comes from a studio called great uh, giant screen digital the name of the game is fortress and whispers Ooh. okay evocative name it right is. there Reminds me of some other uh, some other make my games we've done before, uh, but definitely it's got its its own vibe and the vibe of this one to me via the whispers and the fortress I suppose is intrigue. Yes, right there. Feel yeah. like yeah, yeah, definitely a game a game of intrigue of perhaps court intrigue, but not necessarily. I don't know. The intrigue could expand out from the court because it's not. It's not castle in whispers. It's no, it's fortress in whispers. Yeah. What if the setting for this game is a fortress that is like on the border yep. of contested lands? That's exactly right. <laughs> I could tell you're like going right in the same direction as me, right? Um, and this gives plenty of uh, plenty of reason for intrigue and for having like lots of different angles. So, what's the player doing in in, in this context? Where does the player sit in this? this web of, of lies and intrigue and backstabbing yeah that is a good a good question um you know are we looking at because when i when i first read the title like the the thief games popped into my head which is obviously a first person uh affair and to me so like a, a whisper a, a whisper suggests to me that you are not some omnipotent uh figure overseeing everything what if yeah. you actually are in and navigating this environment and you have to eavesdrop at times uh i think so and let me push push on that even further what if like we're going to just flip the script in terms of uh, of where you usually are as a power player in games especially in any kind of a medieval or fantasy setting um you're like a lowly fortress servant mm -hmm. um and there are multiple people of import who are trying to get you to do their bidding spying on different people in the fortress 
Yeah, I like it. I, it brings to mind, you know, I mentioned a, a few weeks ago that I've been watching Game of Thrones clips uh, and uh, the ones between Arya and Tywin when Arya is the cup girl. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I hadn't thought of that, but that's a natural fit uh, from a, for kind of inspiration here. Yeah, um, you know, right right under his nose is the the Stark girl at uh, all, all along, um, and you know you could be altering messages uh, that go out to back to the the capital, say sure, uh, who you might be allied with or you might uh, be not, um, and uh, you know I guess how how deep do we want to go on fulfilling your your duties your your mundane duties as this this uh lowly servant i think it'll it'll work best if they're primarily rolled into your your different assignments uh as opposed to uh you know duties that you're that you're doing as kind of um a game grind i, yeah. I feel like this game does not necessarily need a grind actually in the conventional sense that the the choices can really be more pivotal um from like right from the start you should be forced in a position where you have no choice but to have kind of a, in rapid succession two or maybe even three conflicting people and you can't turn any of them down. You're not in a position to turn anyone down. Um, and so your choices become about like, not only whether you follow through, but also about whether you provide accurate or inaccurate information from what you're able to, uh, to get. And I think it would also be pretty cool to have a mechanic involved in the, you know, essentially a primarily eavesdropping and or um, location scouting, uh, but also probably some social networking, getting other, other folks um, to, to trust you enough that you can kind of convince them to go do the dirty work. Mm -hmm. um, but the quality of the information you're getting can vary based off of the plays that you make in addition to the choices you make about what to do with it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you could, you know, get in good with, with the city guard or the fortress guard. And if you need someone taken care of or thrown in the dungeon, if they're going to rat you out, you know, you might have, have those options. Um, and I, I like or, the idea, you know, or it could be like uh, assassins from the, from a competing kingdom, um, who you could choose to get in good with in, instead by first getting in good with, you know, one of their spies in the fortress. Yeah. And yeah, I like the idea of, of rolling in, you know, a, a sort of a mission structure, like, okay, you're serving dinner, you know, you mm -hmm. have to go deliver the things, lift off the lids. Uh, but as you're doing that, you're going to stand here and try and get a glimpse of this map and where the, the markers are, or stand in the shadows and listen to a conversation, you know? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I would like it to be, even though this might limit replayability in some respects, I feel like we could build it out enough in other ways to, to enhance replayability. Um, it's less about like where exactly do your, you position your character um, at like a pixel level mm -hmm. and more about like which end of the table or which, uh, you know, knight or whoever at the table you go and choose to stand by uh, while, while performing that duty or which maybe even the order in which you go down the table that those those choices are more instrumental in terms of what you discover and, and how effective you are at doing your snooping job. Yeah. Um, I also am kind of toying with the idea of 
sort of fail states because it is a dangerous game that you're playing. Uh, oh, I think this game should absolutely be able to land you dead within like the first, you know, 20 minutes. Sure. And what I think might be interesting is anyone that you have allied to your cause, you then uh, can take control of that person. Maybe not like a city guard or something, but any of the other serving staff or oh, I like people it. of that so it, oh, stature, you know. It allows for continuity of play if your initial character dies. It also pushes a concept for a game where you are less attached to the survival of a specific character, but as you kind of progress through it, you become more attached to which faction you want to ultimately prevail in, in the intrigue. Yeah. And there could even be like stats that influence how easy or difficult it is to do the skullduggery that you need to. Like, what if you are now this older servant who is hard of hearing? So you have to get closer or uh, hard of seeing. And so you have to get closer to, you know, the map or they move slower. So you have to like plan out your, you know, your moves. Uh, what if within, uh, so what if this, the, the initial character's fate is pretty predetermined? Um, the initial character is going to die within the first whatever five missions. Uh, maybe it can be arbitrary. You can have like, not arbitrary, but you can have different kind of outcomes because the initial character specifically is being thrust right off the bat into having to kind of serve different people, right? So then the choices you make of who you ally with in those initial missions is the most determinative part of the, of the game because it's going to determine who you get to move on to next once you are summarily executed when you are found out. Yeah. Um, I guess pushing back on that a little, maybe it's extremely difficult to keep them alive. But not totally uh, impossible. But not totally impossible. But by the same token, what if you don't have to wait to die to switch into the other characters? You can yeah, so after... Yeah. Yeah, like after after the first couple or whatever yeah. of, uh, of of missions, you have the ability to say, like, oh, okay, we're opening out this, this new option now. Um, I still do like the idea that, uh, grim as it is, that no matter who you choose to play, you're not going to be able to keep everybody alive. Right. Right. Um, at, at certain points, you're going to be having to make choices about um, not only which character to, to play um, to kind of start because you don't necessarily know, depending on who you choose, you might have different people in power coming to you to give you different tasks. Mm -hmm. But that like at, at a certain point, you're going to have kind of a certain degree of inevitable fail state, whether you're actively playing that person or not, somebody else will wind up having to take the fall. So yeah, either one that you're even, playing takes the fall or like, yeah. Maybe even by your own design, you you have someone you can throw under the bus and be like, it was them. And then you get to yeah. going. Um, or you could have a character who has a dialogue option to say like, no, you know what? I like, it's the old Seneschal or whatever. And he's like, yeah, listen, I, I'm very old already. Yeah, hmm. Let, let them blame this on me. Right. And you can yeah. make that choice as, as well. So, um, you know, yeah, that game of Thrones vibe, definitely people are going to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All men but also die. nobles, come on. Right? Take a few of them with us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, either setting people up for ambush or helping to deliver poison or what have you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've got one final thing to throw out there that I think would be kind of fun. Um, 
and this is not to close out uh, our, our design session here, but I like the idea that Giant Screen Digital is actually a mobile developer because there's <laughs> no reason this game needs to be on a console or PC. Uh, not, not necessarily. I think not that it couldn't be as well. Right. I think we, we are looking for a, a degree of fidelity because you are moving in this space and trying to position yourself, but, but that it could certainly work on, on a phone as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, if the positioning doesn't have to be pixel determined so much as, you know, it, it explore the environment and choose the location. Yeah. Um, then it could very much work on a phone as well. So, I mean, maybe it's not exclusively a mobile developer, but I just thought it was the, the same thought. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I didn't really have too much else. I think we've got a nice, uh, nice foundation there for uh, this week's game from Giant Screen Digital Fortress and Whispers. And if I do say so, it's the first game in a few of our Make My Games that I'm like, oh man, I want to play that. Yeah. It actually, really? yeah. I had the same thought and I'm like, I'm just hoping that, that this podcast takes off eventually and that there is a Paul and Moses play jam and people are forced to bring to life all of these creations. <laughs> or at least some of them. Some of them are probably best. <laughs> Master, why did you make me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, cool. So with uh, that uh, feature in the rear view, we will now move into the goodbyes once again. Uh, yeah. You know, here we are, Moses 2022. Uh, the spirit still lives on, the spirit of, of play and our, our love of it. And uh, Elden Ring, Elden Ring, Elden Ring. <laughs> and Elden Ring. And soon to return baseball. Yes. Our final short circuit before I believe we will get into real baseball again. Oh um, I'm looking forward to both. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Moses, as always, thanks for being here with us this evening. Absolutely, Paul. Pleasure as always. Absolutely. And thanks to everyone out there for listening to this week's episode of Paul Knows His Play. If you have a question, a comment, or a suggestion, you can email us at paulandmosesplay at gmail.com. We'll see you next week. And until then, never, never stop, stop playing. playing.